available on digital media, iTunes podcast, smartphone apps, and from the online website. This is Outlook, the talking newspaper for Coventry. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of Outlook. I'm Nigel Hewin and we're recording on Wednesday the 21st of February. And in this edition we're going to look at the high little furry friends of the cats. Continuing the story of Ruben Coe who was uh, in the care during uh, lockdown and then spoke to his brother, or texted his brother rather. Uh, we're also going to find out a few of the facts you don't know about St. Valentine's Day which is only just passed of course. Uh, we're also completing another story of 1924-2024, which Bill started next week, comparing the two 200-year-apart years. Hurdy-gurdy, of course, is back with Alan, and Day visits the Chinese New Year celebrations. But, of course, there's all the usual items as well, but before that, we're going to have the, the rundown of the local news from Elaine and Peter. Outlook News. Anyone who works will see the benefit from some massive changes to employment law, which are just over a month away. April 2024 will see a number of new measures brought into law, which could improve the lives of people. Flexible working, which some find very useful, will come in, meaning that people can ask for it from the moment they are employed, rather than months down the line. There are also changes to protect women more quickly from being made redundant during pregnancy. Here is an abbreviated summary of the changes to laws coming in this April. Flexible and predictable working. Employees will have the right to request flexible working from day one of employment, rather than after 26 weeks, which is the position currently. Employees will also be able to make two requests in any 12-month period, up from one. Employees will no longer have to explain the effect of the change requested, as they do currently, and employers will have to make a decision on a request within two months, rather than three. Redundancy protection during pregnancy and maternity leave. Under the new laws, the redundancy protection during pregnancy will start when the employee tells their employer they are pregnant and extend during an additional period after they return to work from statutory maternity leave. The protected period is calculated from the first day of the expected week of childbirth or from the actual date of the birth, where this is notified to the employer, for a period of 18 months. Shared parental leave. For those taking six or more consecutive weeks of shared parental leave, but who have not taken maternity or adoption leave, the additional protected period ends 18 months after the date of birth of the child or date the child was placed for adoption. Paternity leave. Currently, employees may take just one week in total or two consecutive weeks of paternity leave, but from the 6th of April they will alternatively have the right to take paternity leave as two separate one-week blocks. They will only need to give 28 days notice of their intention to take paternity leave reduced from the previous position that required notice of 15 weeks. Carers leave.
from the 6th of April 2024, there will be a new right for employees with a caring responsibility for a dependent to take one week's unpaid carer's leave per year. This will be a day one employment right. Dependents are not only a spouse, a civil partner, a child or a parent with long-term care needs, but also anyone who reasonably relies on the employee for care. More than half of people receiving universal credit have recently run out of food and been unable to afford more, according to a survey for an anti-poverty charity. Just over half, 52%, of people claiming the benefit are either behind on bills and credit commitments or are finding it a constant struggle to keep up with them, a survey for the Trussell Trust found. In the past three months, 22% of universal credit recipients had been unable to cook hot food as they could not afford to use their oven or other utilities, while 26% have missed an essential appointment, such as visiting the doctor or travelling to work, because they could not afford the cost of transport. Some 43% of people reported being unable to keep their home warm this winter. Temporary measures, such as the cost of living payments, have helped people on the lowest incomes, but, the Trussell Trust said, they have only provided short-term respite. It is urging the UK government to introduce an essentials guarantee, so the basic rate of universal credit is always enough to cover life's essentials, and support can never be pulled below that level. Emma Reevey, Chief Executive of the Trussell Trust, said, Food banks do all they can to support people in their communities, but charities alone cannot take the place of a social security system that should support any of us who have fallen on hard times and need help. A government spokesperson said, We are providing £104 billion in cost of living support, worth on average £3,700 per household. Since 2010, there are 1.7 million fewer people living in absolute poverty. The performers taking to the stage in this year's Godiva Festival are set to be announced in a few days. Organisers say that the line-up for the festival, which takes place in the city's War Memorial Park from Friday the 5th of July to Sunday the 7th of July, will be revealed next Monday. This year is the 25th festival and all eyes will be on who will be taking to the main stages. While the wait for the line-up goes on, it has been revealed that tickets for the festival will go on sale on Friday, March the 1st. Organisers have said that 20,000 early bird tickets will be available to buy before ticket prices rise as more tickets are sold. This will see a standard weekend ticket priced at £26 and £79 for a family weekend ticket, which covers two adults and two children. Also, for the first time ever, a super concession rate ticket will be available exclusively for validated GoCV Plus members to purchase. The GoCV Plus super concession weekend ticket prices will range from £4 to £15.50. 
It has been said that GoCV Plus members can buy a maximum of four tickets per person at super concession prices, but only certain people will be eligible for a GoCV Plus ticket. Coventry City Council's Deputy Leader and Cabinet Member for Events, Councillor Abdul Salam Khan, said, We know that Kadiva Festival is the main highlight of Coventry's event calendar. It's loved by thousands of residents and is getting more and more popular with fans outside of the city too. Councillor Calm added, I'd urge any existing GoCV Plus members who are interested in purchasing tickets to ensure their accounts are validated ahead of tickets going on sale. Members with unvalidated accounts will not be able to purchase tickets at these fantastic rates. If you are a Coventry resident who meets the GoCV Plus criteria but are not yet a member of the scheme, you are able to sign up for free via the GoCV website and validate your account before tickets are available to buy. This is a fantastic offer and I encourage those who are eligible to take advantage of it. A Coventry councillor was summoned to court for non-payment of council tax, it has emerged. Councillor Robert Fay of Wyken received the summons in October 2022 for an outstanding balance of £344.18. The summons was withdrawn before it came to court after payment arrangements were put in place. Asked for comment, the Labour councillor said he was paying manually at that point and had since set up a direct debit. He said the issue was sometimes that payments were late, which he admitted was his fault, but he also overpaid slightly, so there wasn't an arrears balance at the end of the month as far as he was aware, he added. Asked why he paid late, he said it slipped his mind and cited a busy life. No payments were missed, they were just late, he told the local democracy reporting service. Councillor Fay said he later set up a direct debit as it's just not worth the hassle. He is the third Coventry councillor to be summoned for not paying tax in five years. Data from the FOI also showed the numbers of reminders for tax sent to councillors in 2022-23 and 2023-24. Nine were issued to five councillors in 2022-3 and nine to four councillors the following year although no names were released with the information. Two of the councillors had reminders both years. The total owed across both years was more than £6,500, with the largest individual amount outstanding just over £2,000. A Coventry City Council spokesperson said, When someone doesn't pay their council tax, then we have a robust policy in place to ensure that we can collect that money. If anyone believes they may have difficulty paying back their bills, then we encourage them to contact us early to see what support is available. A new eye-catching addition could be made to Coventry's Central Six Retail Park. Details of the proposed new facility have been revealed in planning applications submitted to Coventry City Council's planning team. The application asks for permission for two freestanding digital screens on bespoke bases at the shopping park on Warwick Road. The two digital screens would be located at the entrance and 
exit to the shopping area. The council itself wants to install the two new advertising screens at the popular shopping park. The proposal is being championed by its commercial partnerships team. Within the applications, it gives details of what the two screens will look like as well as their locations on a special map. There is also a CGI that gives an indication of how they will look for those who work and shop at the park. As with any planning proposal, the application can be viewed on the Council's website under the Planning Applications section. A 20 metre high mobile phone mast plan has been revealed for land in a Coventry neighbourhood. An application has been submitted to Coventry City Council for the proposed mast on land between 6 and 12 James Green Road in Tile Hill. The application explains that consultation was undertaken with the safeguarding department of both Coventry Airport and Birmingham Airport last year. It says that Coventry Airport confirmed no objection to the proposal, while Birmingham Airport did not respond. It further explains that the current base station, located at Ferrers Close, which provides network coverage to the surrounding area, is due to be lost from the network for reasons beyond the operator's control. The telecommunications site at Ferrers Close provided network coverage to the surrounding area, and this base station has been decommissioned generating the need for a replacement site in the vicinity to avoid a coverage gap in the network. The application is now being looked at by the planning team at the City Council. The new, huge new entertainment venue inside former Coventry's old Debenham store has divided opinion. The inside of the Smithsford Social, which will have a bowling alley, mini golf and darts and shuttle area. It will be based within the West Orchard Shopping Centre, in part of the old Debenham store. Some residents say they cannot wait for it to open. However, others have slammed the chosen location for the entertainment's venue. One said, cannot wait for it to open. Having a bowling alley in the city centre will be a great addition. While another said, nice to see the building come back into use. Hopefully it will be a success but others were not as pleased with the location, saying, what a waste, that sort of thing needs to be outside the city centre. In the face of these comments, some leapt to the defence of the new venture. Filling an empty unit to entertain the people of Coventry? What's the problem? Surely using an empty unit in the city centre is better than letting it rot. And conversely, another said, Think we have enough entertainment on the streets of Coventry already? Parts of Coventry city centre were cordoned off for 10 hours after a gas main near a pub erupted. Fire crews from Coventry, Binley and Folsill responded to 999 calls to in Greyfriars Lane at 8.30 last Friday. West Midlands Fire Service confirmed that firefighters and police gathered near to the Squirrel pub and soon put road closures in place, including nearby High Street, and several buildings in the area were evacuated. A fire service spokesperson said a pipe in the road had erupted. While fire crews made the area safe, Cadent was called to the scene. 
Several firefighters kitted out in breathing apparatus helped evacuate buildings nearby, with some people being offered emergency temporary accommodation. At the height of the operation, four engines were at the scene and they remained there until 2.30am the following morning. Another crew then arrived to take over, while Cadent managed to make the repair to the gas main. A new little IKEA-type store is set to open in Coventry City Centre. The Danish-founded firm Sustrangren is set to open its first branch in the city in the lower precinct. The firm, which has more than 200 stores across the country, including one in nearby Leamington, is believed to be setting up in one of the four units set up following the closure of the next branch in the shopping area. It has already been announced that one of the four units will soon be home to the fragrance shop. Now, it appears that Sostrand Gren, which has been dubbed as Little Ikea, as it sells homeware and furniture designed in minimalistic style, is set to be the next to set up home. Jobs are currently being advertised for the new branch. They used to be dotted all around Coventry. Today, only a few cast-iron drinking fountains are still in existence in the city. One such landmark is located close to one of the busiest junctions outside the Ring Road. Every day, tens of thousands of vehicles, pedestrians and joggers pass the drinking fountain on the northernmost fringes of the War Memorial Park where Warwick Road, Leamington Road and Kenilworth Road all meet. Yet few, if any, stop to digest the majesty of a minute relic that actually tells us so much about the city. Local historian Scott Duffin says it's one of the oldest. There's not many remaining around Coventry now. It's one of the very few surviving drinking fountains in the city. The drinking fountain at Top Green in Stichel is made of cast iron and is dated to around 1918. It is a survivor of the 19th and 20th century movement to provide fresh, clean drinking water and is a reminder of the philanthropic donation by a civic leader. It also illustrates the facilities that were part of Top Green in the Edwardian period. The ornate design of the fountain shows its decorative nature and artistic interest with the lion head spout and the classical column design. Embossed lettering on it says, A Gift by Mrs. Alec S. Hill, Mayoress of Coventry, 1916-1918. Public drinking fountains fed by the mains were an important part in improving public health at a time when waterborne diseases like cholera were endemic. Cholera suffered a cholera, Coventry suffered a cholera outbreak in 1849 that killed more than 200 people. Many of the fountains still present in Coventry are understood to be on the local list of heritage assets. The historic bubbler in Earlsdon Avenue South was lovingly restored and unveiled to the public in October 2015. It was said at the time to be the only Victorian drinking fountain in the UK in full working order. Famous handmade pork pies and more than 70 cask ales and ciders will be on offer when a much-loved Coventry pub hosts a beer festival. The old windmill in Spawn Street is to stage the event in April. It will be held over the weekend of April the 24th to 28th and will see the city centre pub, hailed a secret gem, 
play home to 40 different cask ales and 35 ciders. To complement the wide range of drinks on offer, there will also be food. On the menu will be the pub's famous homemade pork pies, as well as ploughmans and cheese boards. The pub, which was a winner at the Great British Pub Awards in 2022, will also host a number of live acts throughout the beer festival weekend. The pub has a fond and historic place in Coventry's drinking scene. It is known by generations as Mar Browns, after the legendary landlady who ran the ancient hostelry from 1940 to 1967. But it dates back much further than that, and boasts three original fireplaces, which are believed to have remained at the pub since 1451. Outlook News And uh, that completes the rather limited range of news in Coventry this week from Elaine and Peter. Uh, just before we move on, I've got a couple of announcements. Inevitably, as the lighting up and lighting down, uh, sunrise at the moment is 7.09 and it disappears at 5.30 in the afternoon. Now, last week, apparently, uh, we put out a, re- uh, a report about Devon Insight uh, and their free seminars. Apparently, we said that they were at 12.30. They are not at 12.30. They are on at 10.30 a.m. Uh, if you want to get a free phone call, you can phone them on 0808 169 7930. And the next one is on Tuesday, the 12th of March, entitled... Good Nutrition and Eye Health. Uh, and there, from then on, it's on the second Tuesday of each month. So that's a, a correction from last week. They are meetings are not at 12.30, they are at 10.30. So now, Hugh, welcome back. Thank you, very, thank you very much. Uh, talking of a limited range of news, I haven't got much to talk about this week. You probably won't stop me from <laughs> yeah, carrying on for a right. while, but there we are. We can chanter. We can chanter. <laughs> um, uh, as I told you uh, last week, Claire has now taken on the role of, uh, of uh, our community fundraising champion. Now, um, In the spirit of community fundraising, there are a few things going on that I uh, wanted to let you know about. Um, The first is uh, um, Annette Balls, uh, involved with the uh, Heart of England uh, Cooperative Concert uh, Orchestra, or HOECO, and their spring concert, I have mentioned this before, is uh, going to take place on the 16th of March, and it's quite a fun thing. It's a concert of children's music uh, featuring um, uh, Peter and the Wolf, uh, uh, Dance Macabre, uh, the typewriter, the Toy Symphony, uh, Cinderella, the theme from E.T., and much more. Uh, The Peter and the Wolf uh, is famously uh, uh, by Prokofiev, and it's uh, got a uh, a, a lovely narration telling the story about um, uh, how uh, Peter goes out and uh, and uh, gets chased a bit by a wolf, really, uh, from his grandfather's farm. Uh, there's lots of uh, fun uh, imitations of animals done by the various uh, instruments in the orchestra. It's a great thing. So uh, the, the really doubly good news about this is it's being done um, in um, in support of us and I think the, the last time I tried to say this there wasn't um, uh, I, I couldn't tell who the other charity was but I think it's called 199 as well so the, the, the proceeds will be 
split between us. Two things. Yeah. How much and where? All right. Well, yeah, I, was, I was coming to that. Oh, right, okay. I was coming to that. The impatience. I am. Um, yeah. So uh, tickets are ten pounds. Um, concessions are seven pound fifty, and under sixteens are a mere one pound. So if you want to grab some kids and bring them along for some culture this would be a very good opportunity to do so for not very much money and it takes place on Saturday the 16th of March at 3pm and that's going to be in the Bethel Church down at Spon End so um, yeah it's sort of right by the Albany Theatre it's not, not far from there really um so, uh, you have to book in advance. Now, they've got a helpfully supplied a, uh, a QR code, and if you're able to do QR codes, then we can let you have the QR codes. Uh, but otherwise, if you really, really like to go, and you have absolutely no idea how to get tickets, uh, do please uh, call us uh, on 024-76-717522, and we will do our best to intercede and help on that front. Do you have a minibus that night or not? Um, probably not. No, oh, okay. It's an afternoon. It's yes. an afternoon. Really nice. So, yeah. Yeah. so on to uh, other sort of fundraising efforts. Um, the Leofric Lions, um, as you will remember, in many years gone by, um, used to do the walkathon. Well, they're sort of still doing the walkathon, but they've called it now the Move for Fun. Um, and that, with number four, of course, Move for Fun. Uh, and that's now taking place on the 19th of May. So that's going to be um, a sort of sponsored trolley around the, uh, around the War Memorial Park. Um, I think there's some other things involved in it as well. But um, if that is something you would like to do, get sponsored for for uh, taking part in that day for us, then uh, we'd be absolutely delighted to help and um, and support you with that, and of course to receive all the money that you raise uh, afterwards. Uh, uh, what you'd need to do is call us on the number that what I have just given you and talk to Claire. Uh, uh, on uh, option eight when you call in and um, and she will uh, get you signed up um, and a very similar sort of thing well similar similar but very much not um, there's something called the inflatable 5k now this is a uh, a five kilometer run run ish uh, over the course of which, uh, over the course of which, there are 32 very large inflatable ob obstacles. Um, <laughs> things like uh, ramps that you have to run up and run down with, you know, run, run up and then there's a slide down the other side and there's, there's, you know, basically it's a lot of bouncy castles. Uh, not not uh, really ideal for, for people with visually impaired. <laughs> well, that's uh, well, you say that, but uh, we have at least two visually impaired people who are going to be taking part. Oh, i.e. Chris and Claire. Oh. Um, but, um, so we've got a number of tickets available uh, for that and we can get more um, but uh, if you fancy doing that it's going to be an awful lot of fun it's on July the 27th so you've got a little bit of time to uh, to, to work up to it and um, uh, you'll um, yeah, so but it, you know it'll be a really a huge amount of fun. The, the, it's a it's sort of a, it's a bit of a travelling circus. The inflatable five k it goes around various different towns and cities over the course of the year. But it's coming to Coventry on July the twenty seventh. Um, where will it be? That's a very good question, and in fact, I do have I possibly do have that answer if I look very quickly on the on the website that. Joe very kindly sent to me, and it's going to be at the University of Warwick. There oh, we are. Right. Okay. I didn't have to do much umming and yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Uh, so that's that. Um, so, yeah, uh, um, here we are. This, here we are. There's a bit of blurb about it. Get ready to bounce your way through the world's biggest and most epic inflatable 5K oh. obstacle course. Um, yes, the event's taking place at Coventry University, uh, no, uh, Warwick University in Coventry on Saturday, the 27th of July. It's going to be bigger, bouncier, and better than ever before. The excitement has been pumped up to the max. You'll be jumping, sliding, and bouncing your way to the finish line like never before. So grab your friends, lace up your trainers, and get ready for the ultimate inflatable adventure. Also, ha- bring along any uh, trained nurses, uh, <laughs> Do- uh, doctors, and paramedics. <laughs> and paramedics. <laughs> I'm sure there'll be plenty on hand. Anyway, um, so we've got a few people already signed up for that. Uh, it'll be a, a lot of fun, I think. So uh, if anybody fancies having a go, or importantly, get you know one of your relatives to do so, um, then we'd be delighted to hear from you. Again, give the centre a call. Go through to Claire or Joe and uh, they will get you signed up. I was going to go off a tangent. Uh, all your computers now up and running? All the computers are now up and running. Excellent. And actually, they're really Good. nice. They, 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 work, uh, they work off Windows 11, which is the next operating system yep. on from the, from the previous lot. So it means that all the uh, accessibility features that, uh, that are inbuilt into PCs, actually, they work a lot better on, on Windows 11. So when you're making the text a lot bigger, uh, in the old one, it used to mean that text would go off the side of the screen and you couldn't get to it and you couldn't see what you were supposed to be doing. You had to move things around a lot. Whereas this, it just all reformats very nicely and stays on the screen. Um, they're really good, clear displays and uh, people are enjoying them very much. So. Good. Excellent. Thank you. That's it. That is it, yeah. Wonderfully brief for a Ooh, change. Welcome to the next week again. Yeah. Uh, no, in fact, yeah. you won't because... Uh, you're uh, you're oh, on. no, hold on. Next week, 28th. No, next week I'm here. It's the oh, week right. after I'm on the holes. Ah, so, uh, right. yes. Where this time? Portugal. Very oh. Nice. Mm. Yes. Bit, bit of sunshine. Uh, yeah, I, I'm sincerely hoping so. Oh, Lisbon and Lisbon and Porto. You can't, it's Atlantic weather. You can't, you can't. You, you can't, can't trust can't it, can you? Be yeah. guaranteed, but well, you can't no. trust it with anywhere. No, no, well, can you? Right. <laughs> yeah, so, so that'd be nice. So, yeah. How long uh, Just a week. Just so, week, I should so. be, I should be away a week. So, at which point I shall get Joe to step in and do this. Bit. Yes. Good. Thank you very much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Sarah, unfortunately, is struggling with her eyesight a bit, but has since it still managed a sports report for this week for you. Outlook Sport. Well, hello there, lovely listener. Yes, you'll notice I now put you in the singular, but I mean you. Yep, you. Now, this week's sport's going to be a bit shorter than usual because, unfortunately, my eyes have become very light-sensitive over the weekend and I'm avoiding as much IT contact as I can. So I haven't been able to update anything from Sunday, apart from one item which I heard on the radio. Right, so here we go. Now, midweek last week, shortly after this programme had been recorded, actually, City travelled all 220 miles down south to take on Plymouth, Plymouth Argyle. And I have to say, it was one of the most boring matches to listen to on the radio. You know, one of them, gosh, I'll never get that 90 minutes of my life back. Anyway, Plymouth were on top of us and they scored 1-0 Plymouth. 
But then, well, it sounded a bit of a bundle fundle, to be truthful. We scored. The actual goal was scored. It was chested in by Ellis Sims, or Ellie, as those of you may remember I now call him. Um, and so that was it, one all. But then in the second half, Plymouth came out like the proverbial bats out of hell. And they scored again. And I have to say, on the 90th minute, when they said, oh, there are five minutes injury time, I gave up and went, turned the radio off and went to make a cup of coffee. Then, of course, the phone after five minutes went bing. And I thought, oh, end of the match. But then when I put the radio on, I found that we scored again in the fifth minute of injury time. So we came away with a two-all draw. Now, it's a long journey back, and I understand the team bus didn't get home until 2 a.m. And so very kindly, our manager, Mark Robbins, gave the players the day off, which meant they only had the Friday to prepare for another travel away, up north this time, well, only as far as Stoke. Now, I wouldn't exactly say Stoke and City are great friends. And so it was with great cheer when that man, Ellis Sims, scored again to make it City 1, Stoke 0. Or should I say Stoke 0, City 1. He's actually certainly now coming alive as a scorer because we bought him on the back of, shall we say, a less successful run at Everton. And there were a lot of doubters when we bought him. But he's another to add to our strike force. Now, our match at the weekend has been brought forward to Friday, Friday evening. For any of you who go, it is at the Coventry Building Society Arena. 7.45 kick-off. And it's against Preston North End. So that's Friday. And why is that on Friday, Sarah, they all ask? Well, they don't all ask, but never mind. I'm going to tell you. That is because on Monday, we take on Maidstone in the fifth round of the FA Cup. Hmm. Please, no banana skin, please. Now, I'm 99% sure that that will be on terrestrial television, though I can't tell you which channel because my Sky Planner only goes forward one week and I'm recording this on a Monday. But it'll either be, I'm pretty sure, BBC One or ITV. Now, moving down many leagues to our Southern League Premier Central. I think I've got that in the right order. Leamington were away to Kettering and came away with a nil-nil draw. But sadly, Stratford were at home to Telford and came out the wrong end of a 3-0 defeat. So now Stratford has slipped out of the playoff places and Leamington are just clinging on to the playoff places by their fingertips. Right, moving away from football now, 
I was surprised to hear that Torville and Dean, or Orville and Queen, as I used to call them, um, were stopping touring next year. I would have thought they'd have stopped touring ages ago. I mean, they must be making quite a nice tidy sum from ITV's Dancing on Ice. And let's be honest, Jane Torville is 66, Christopher Dean is 65. Surely there comes an age when your body says no, and also the people just say, oh, gore, had enough of Bolero. But anyway, well done you two, you've kept going, and you got us a medal at the time when Olympic medals were very few and far between. Now, a big congratulations to local lad Adam Fogg, who came third in the 1500 metres in the UK Indoor Athletics, but having already qualified for the World Indoors, he's now been selected. Now, he's not only a local lad, but he's a member of Coventry Godiva Harriers. I used to run, well, I used to be allowed to plod alongside, shall we say, Godiva Harriers. And the problem that poor old Godiva, who meet at Warwick University, have is that they tend to be a feeder for the bigger clubs, particularly the Birmingham club, who meet at Alexander Stadium. So anyway, well done, Adam. You stuck with Coventry and now you've got your selection. And I also saw that at 45, Dwayne Chambers was delighted to get to the semi-final of the 60 metres. Yep, well done, Dwayne. You certainly kept going. Now, a big well done also to Ben Stokes. No, not for leading England again in the third test match in India, which saw England fall to their biggest run defeat for 90 years. No, not for that, but for making his 100th test appearance. Apparently there aren't many players that have actually made 100 tests. And he's still got a lot of years in those legs, particularly if you're racing him alongside Orville and Queen. And finally, you may remember Sven Goran Eriksson. He used to manage the England football team. And you may be aware that recently he's come out as having terminal cancer and only having another year to live. Now, high on his bucket list, was to manage the Liverpool side, the mighty Liverpool, currently top of, di of the Premier Division. Well, he's been given the chance. Not admittedly the full squad, but he's going to manage Liverpool seniors in a match with Ajax seniors. So, well done Sven, but most of all, well done Liverpool. And that has been your sport. Have a great week folks. Bye. Orville and Queen? That's a new one on me. But I can't believe it's 40 years since their Olympic gold with Bolero. And now it's time for Dave and your post bag. Oh, so let's find out what the postman's brought this week. 
Hello and welcome to your postbag. Graham starts us off by commenting on the generous donation that got the minibus back on the road after a vital part was stolen from it. Also, some sad news of the closure of the local branch of a campaigning organisation for the blind and visually impaired that he has been chairperson of. Well, interesting to hear that somebody's coughed up £3,600 to fix the resource centre's minibus. It just shows that uh, there are some uh, kind of thoughtful people about. I can possibly relate a story on a much smaller scale than that. But first of all, I do have to announce that the Coventry branch of the National Federation of the Blind have had to close due to uh, being unable to find people who are willing and able to hold office. We have to have a secretary, chairman, treasurer, one or two other things to comply with the Federation's rules, and we can't find people who are willing to do that. So the branches have to close. They're not the only branch who's got problems, actually. West Midlands branch has also got problems, and you think, well, <laughs> an area which they cover, they ought to be able to find uh, solutions to their problem, but um, evidently they, they, they can't. Um, I'm still a member of the Federation, and I think a few of us are, and I would recommend people... Um, joining the Federation, and it may well be some time in the future that um, we will be able to reform the branch, but at the moment uh, there is no way forward. But that didn't stop a few of us going out for a meal before Christmas. And at the end of the evening, uh, at the Javier pub, um, we asked the, uh, the waitress for the bill, and when she came back, she says, it's paper. Uh, didn't believe it. She says, can you repeat that? She said, it's paper. She didn't say who by, and I think perhaps the person who paid the bill would want to remain anonymous. But it does show that there are some kind people around. There's still hope for us all yet. Thank you, Graham. I'm sorry that the Coventry branch of the National Federation of the Blind and Visually Impaired has closed for want of people to serve on the committee. You have put out enough invitations for listeners to come to your meetings, and in recent years you haven't even had to leave your armchairs with the Zoom and phone meetings. Perhaps Julia's report goes some way to explain why some people don't like committee meetings. First of all, she talks about something I can relate to, as my car was hit by a Royal Mail lorry recently when we're trying to come off the M1 to a service station. But the main thing is that Graham and myself were unhurt. Julia's report is entitled, A Lorry, A Bus and A Bump. That's what held us up at Torch this week. The lorry bumped into the bus and made us late for the fellowship meeting. This week we were giving thanks for food. Nigel says we have a lot of it in this country. 
Good old Ray gave us a quiz about food, and Terry told us the story about two men fighting, but they lost their gun, so they couldn't fight, so they went to McDonald's instead. My friend John likes McDonald's, and he hasn't got a gun either, so he has to buy his. Anyway, we were so busy talking about food and guns that we forgot to have our AGM, so we'll have to have it next week instead. I'm glad we forgot the AGM because I find them very boring. Who cares about AGMs and electing a new committee and whether the minutes of the last meeting were correct? I don't. That's the sort of rubbish my friend John likes. He likes anything boring and, and sherbet lemons too. Have a happy week, everybody. See you next week. Lots of love, Julia. Well, thank you, Julia. I'm not at my best at formal meetings. I um, find them very stressful and I, I'm not very relaxed. I'd rather go out and actually do things. But there are people who thrive at being on committees. And if you are such a person, maybe you would consider putting your name forward in the case of the local campaigning organisation, the Coventry Branch of the National Federation of the Blind, starting up again. They have done some great things in the past, such as testing pedestrian crossings for their suitability for visually impaired people. Regarding the men fighting, I recorded a story for Outlook once from a member of the Binley Male Voice Choir. The choir were in a bar in Germany when a fight broke out, so to calm things down, a choir member got up and sang a song about two roses. The barmaid joined in, and the two men stopped fighting and started singing. When the police arrived to break the fight up, they joined in the song too. Such is the power of music. After telling me this story for Outlook, the choir sang a song called The Rose at the Enterprise Club for the Disabled. The Rose is Amy Clennell's favourite song that she sang at the Theatre Royal Drury Lane, and in recent years with Coventry's West End Phantom of the Opera star Dave Willits at the Monday Club. Just recently, she announced that she'd won a poetry competition with a poem about a famous dog called Greyfriars Bobby, which Derek congratulates her on. Hi all, it's Derek here. Just leaving a message to say congratulations to Amy for the poem that was recited a couple of weeks ago and how it deserved the award that she got. I hope we will be hearing further written works from Amy in the future. Also, does anybody know how Angela is <laughs> last year? Thank you very much. Thank you so much for that, Derek. Amy is so inspiring and uplifting to hear from. Uh, it's so nice for you to recognise her considerable achievements in life in postbag 
But I'm sorry, I don't know who Angela is, but we wish her well. And another inspiring woman of achievement, in fact a fellow Godiva Awards woman of achievement, is Edwina, who tells you about the New Year fashions and how you can give yourself a bit of colour. I hope everybody's settling down to the beginning of a new year. It is a new beginning. So, um, I thought about fashion once again. I'm not actually somebody that's following fashion and going along with all the youngsters. I call myself an in-betweener because I don't feel ready to be in the granny grade, but I'm an in-betweener. So I'm always looking out for something in between. I go for clothes that are simple and add accessories. So at the moment I've got two really lovely velvet scarves that I am using that were given to me from a friend. And I have used them incessantly. I hear now that instead of these very, very bright colours, putting pink with red and vivid colours clashing with orange, they are now going more neutral. So it means that you don't need to feel a bit awkward about some of these bright colours because they're going into more fawn and brown and that sort of natural colours. That is, if you're interested. <laughs> so, um, once again, there does seem to be an awful lot of navy blue that they are trying to sell off. I, I have got some navy blue, but I prefer going gently into nice green and pinks sometimes. I don't go into the baby pink, that really is the hit fashion. But I look for the more suitable soft ones that aren't quite so pale. You still have to give yourself a bit of colour. Especially as you're getting older, you see. Well, are you a dedicated follower of fashion, or do you just wear what suits you and why not? And how do you colour coordinate your clothes if you can't see them? These are useful things people uh, would benefit from knowing. And please let your fellow listeners know. In fact, tell us what's on your mind. Thank you for your messages this week, and please let's hear from you next week in any way you feel happiest. There is that phone number, of course, in the studio, 02476 and press 5 for Coventry Talking Newspaper. And I understand they're uh, working on the sound quality. Okay, well, thank you very much, or, or any other way you feel happiest. Thank you very much. Have you booked holiday, by the way? So, uh, where are you going? 
So which organisation are you going with? Or have, do you have any tips that help you with a visual impairment? Or anything helpful or just chatty? Thank you very much and bye for now. This is Outlook. You can contact Postbag. Our website is www.talkingnewspaper.org.uk. Our email address is postbag at talkingnewspaper.org.uk. Join in the discussion on Postbag. So that's your Postbag for this week. Uh, we all love to hear from you, so just pick up the phone. Dial 02476 then press option 5 for Coventry Talking Newspaper and leave a message. Whether it's a comment on the programme, a greeting to a fellow listener, or, or just a simple question, but let's just hear from you. Now we're all aware of Sarah's love of cats from her frequent mention of her furry friend during her weekly sports report. So this article read by Elaine from an article in the People's Friend uh, about feline friends is especially for you, Sarah. The UK's owned cat population is growing. But are we providing them with everything they need to thrive? This important question sits right at the heart of cats' protection. John May says one of the first things that comes up is while cats are great communicators, humans are not always the best listeners. His life was made so much better by the fact that he has Blenheim, his rescue cat. But he needs to recognise that Blenheim is not a little furry person. That's an important thing part of the work the Cats Protection do. They help people to make sure that their cats have the very best lives and they want everyone to see the world through cats' eyes. There are 11 million owned cats in this country and only a small minority are completely understood by their owners. Cat's Protection taught John loads about his cat that he didn't know or other cats he'd had before. One of the most interesting things he learned was that he discovered that his cat Blenheim is much happier now he's put the food and water separate. Cats are not that far evolved from wild animals that they were millennia ago and in the wild A cat wouldn't have water next to food because they didn't want it to be contaminated. So I moved Blenheim's water bowl and food bowl about two metres apart. And that suited the cat very well. Hmm, strange things, aren't they? All cats are different, of course, to the extent that while some need a cosy bed in front of the fire and on-demand ear scratches or back scratches or neck scratches, other cats might be more happy living outside. That's a key consideration for cats protection when it comes to feline welfare. Take community cats for example. These are the cats who have recognised humans are a source of food and even shelter, but don't necessarily want to live with those humans. Rescuing that cat could actually be the worst thing to do for them, says John. It disturbs all their normal behaviours and might make them stressed and unhappy, when actually they are a perfectly happy cat 
living a perfectly happy life. So the Cats Protection League do a lot of good work. And Sarah supports them. And if you are a cat person, you possibly do support them too. Cats are strange things. I had one cat that would only drink water from a dripping tap. And another cat that would only drink water outside, either from a rainwater puddle or the bird bath. And each cat is different. Some cats are happy living on their own in a household and they will not accept a cat companion. But we have to agree. Animals are a source of delight and happiness to all those of us who are fortunate to be able to own one. But they are a responsibility and it is our duty to learn how to look after them properly. Have you got a favourite pet? Dog, cat, budgerigar, rabbit or whatever? Tell us all about it in postbag. You'll remember last week uh, Keith recounting the extraordinary story of Reuben Coe, who'd been marooned in a care home system during Covid, and then sent a text message to his brother 2,000 miles away in Spain. Keith told of Reuben's transformation following that text, and now completes the story. Back together in the UK for the awards on May the 15th, in which they had been nominated in the non-fiction narrative category, The brothers, who were born in Leeds, are photographed by the Daily Express, and I wonder what it felt like for Reuben when Manny arrived to take him from the care home. You rescued me, Reuben whispers, looking at his brother and lightly kissing his hand. Their life-affirming memoir is based on a journal Manny started writing in February 2021, halfway through his healing time with Reuben. They have just recorded the audiobook together. I would sit and write at night in the dark, and it gave me the impetus to keep going, Manny explains. That was when I realised the power of what we were living through. I knew I wasn't writing a fairy tale. There were tiny chinks of moments when I thought we were getting somewhere, when he would give me the most amazing drawings. But it was a belief system, rather than circumstantial evidence. The next morning, as Reuben seemed unwilling or unable to engage, it was as if they were back at the start again. It was like rolling a boulder up the hill. I would go to bed believing we'd moved the baseline, that the front line of our battle had progressed, only to have my hopes dashed. I did feel it was a battle for brotherhood. A psychiatrist sent by the care home to assess whether Reuben could live with Manny in the cottage after he had taken him for a long weekend and not returned him gave Reuben only a 10% chance of recovering from the terrible toll isolation had taken on him. That was when the fight kicked in, says Manny, a warm and hugely persuasive man who is fearless in his loving and who describes his younger brother as his right arm a limb that he declares he was not prepared to cut off. When Reuben was in the care home, Manny, whose loving zeal is reminiscent of parenthood, decorated his brother's room with a huge wallpaper mural of a lion bought online. 
and his empathy for Ruben's outlook is striking. He has always lived in the space between reality and fantasy, explains Manny, of Ruben's vivid imagination. I don't have children, through circumstance, although I would love to have been a father. There is some grief for me attached to that, and although I'm Ruben's big brother, he is the closest thing to a son I'll ever have. I knew I had to nurture him. As a young child, Manny realised that entering his realm of make-believe was the most effective way to engage with Reuben. He loves the story of the Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and the world of the Hobbits. But for Reuben, it is all real. He's always lived in that space between reality and fantasy. But after being able to do nothing in lockdown other than watch DVDs of films, it was almost as if he had crossed over permanently into that world. Rather than trying to lure him out, Manny decided to join him there, choosing language that would resonate with his sibling. Because he thinks he actually is a hobbit, for example, I know the most efficient code of language to use with him is engaging with him using his own mode of communication. So rather than say, put your arm around me and let's go for a walk, Manny will say to Reuben, put your hand on my mane and let's walk a while together. These are words that Aslan, the noble lion in C.S. Lewis's 1950 classic, uses with one of the children who venture out of the back of the wardrobe into the magical land of Narnia. Creating a structure for their often challenging days together was vital. Their neatly annotated diary diaries form the end papers of the book, revealing the minutiae of a repeating grid of meals and activities. There was no shape to our time initially because we didn't know how long we would be there together, but I was very aware that Rube's recovery would be based on structure and I wanted him to be proactive in his own recovery. The act of ticking off an activity when it's done gives a sense of pride, says Manny. On Fridays they would put on musicals and stage them live on Instagram. One day Manny decided to pretend it was Christmas, complete with a tree and decorations. They used dance and music on a daily basis, as well as focusing on the five pillars of good food, sleep, exercise and fresh air, responsibility and love. After 26 weeks, Reuben was no longer entirely non-verbal and communicating only in drawings and Manny sensed he was ready to start living independently again in the newly built independent living facility in Dorset. Jack had wanted to bring Reuben back to Spain permanently, but it was Reuben who chose to be somewhere he could create his own community, a testimony to how far he's come with Manny's support. After a ten-day period in transition, Manny returned to his life in Spain. His business in Spain had nearly folded, rescued only by a colleague who offered to hold the fort. He describes driving away from Reuben as one of the hardest things he's ever had to do. I felt completely lost for days, he tells me. 
Now, when not together, the brothers talk every day on WhatsApp and share a video call once a week. Whereas before, he used to give me a drawing before he went to bed. Uh, Now he sends me a text message. Sleep well, brother. Love you. And when we talk on WhatsApp, he'll say, I am home with my people. Notably, they are his people, not my people. He's made new friendships for himself. Time together gave him an opportunity to flourish. He sent me a text message asking if I loved him when he was at his very lowest. The book is my love story to let him know just how much I do. Heartwarming story of achieving success from despair. Now, we're just a week after St. Valentine's Day, but there are a few things about that day that you probably never knew. I came across this article in the latest edition of Chatterbox magazine, and I recorded it earlier. Love Letters and Poems Verona, the Italian city where Shakespeare's play lovers Romeo and Juliet lived, receives about 1,000 letters every year sent to Juliet on Valentine's Day. The oldest surviving love poem is written in a clay tablet from the times of the Sumerians, inventors of writing around 3,500 years BC. Wear your heart on your sleeve. In the Middle Ages, young men and women drew the names from a bull to see who would be their valentine. They would wear this name pinned on their sleeves for one week. This was done so that it became easy for other people to know their true feelings. This was known as to wear your heart on your sleeve. Valentine Gifts On February the 14th, wooden love spoons were carved and given as gifts on Valentine's Day in Wales. Hearts, keys and keyholes were favourite Valentine decorations on the wooden spoons. This Valentine decoration meant, you unlock my heart. The most beautiful and incredible gift of love is the monument Taj Mahal in India. Built by Mughal Emperor Shah Jahan as a memorial to his wife, it stands as the emblem of the eternal love story. Work on the Taj Mahal began in 1634 and continued for almost 22 years, requiring the labour of 20,000 workers from all over India and Central Asia. In America, the pilgrims used to send confections such as sugar wafers, marzipan, sweetmeats and sugar plums to their loved ones. A lot of value was placed on these gifts because they included what was then a rare product, sugar. After the late 1800s, beet sugar became widely used and more available, and sweet gifts continued to be cherished and enjoyed. In Great Britain, Valentine's Day began to be celebrated around the 17th century. By the middle of the 18th century, it was common for friends and lovers to exchange small tokens of affection, or handwritten notes. In medieval times, girls ate bizarre foods on St. Valentine's Day to dream of their future spouse. There was a belief in the Middle Ages that the first unmarried person of the opposite sex you met on the morning of St. Valentine's Day would become your spouse. The first Valentine gift was sent by Duke of Orleans to his wife after he was captured in 1415. Now, only 73% of Valentine's Day flowers are bought by men, whereas women buy only 23%. 
and funnily enough, 3% of pet owners prefer to give Valentine gifts to their pets. Some other fascinating facts. In olden times, some people believed that if a woman saw a robin flying overhead on Valentine's Day, it meant she would marry a sailor. If she saw a sparrow, she would marry a poor man and be very happy. If she saw a goldfish, she would marry a millionaire. The Catholic Church recognises at least three different saints called Valentine or Valentinus, all of whom were martyrs. People used a different calendar before 1582, and February 14th came on what is now February 24th. Approximately 85% of all Valentine cards are surprisingly purchased by women. In Denmark, people send pressed white flowers called snowdrops to their friends. Danish men also send a type of valentine called a gekkebrev, uh, i.e. a joking letter. The sender writes a rhyme but does not sign his name. Instead, he signs the valentine with dots, one dot for each letter of his name. If the woman guesses his name, he rewards her with an Easter egg at Easter. Many Valentine's Day customs involved ways that single women could learn who was their future husband. English women of the 1700s wrote men's names on scraps of paper, rolled each in a little piece of clay and dropped them in the water. The first paper that rose to the surface supposedly had the name of the woman's true love. Also in the 1700s, Unmarried women pinned five bay leaves to their pillows on the evening of Valentine's Day. They pinned one leaf to the centre of the pillow and one to each corner. If the charm worked, they saw their future husband in their dreams. And thinking of love and Valentine's Day brings us to the thought maybe of Casanova. And Giamma Casanova, an infamous Italian adventurer and libertine, was born on April the 2nd, 1725, in Venice. Casanova is best known for his reputation as a charismatic seducer and his tumultuous lifestyle during the, 19th, the 18th century. He achieved a level of notoriety that transcended his lifetime, becoming synonymous with the art of seduction. Casanova's early years were marked by a diverse range of pursuits. He studied law, worked as a clergyman, and even tried his hand at being a violinist and a spy. However, it was his amorous escapades that ultimately defined his legacy. Casanova's memoir, Histoire de, de ma vie, a story of my life, provides a vivid and detailed account of his romantic conquests, often involving liaisons with noble women, actresses, and courtesans across Europe. Renowned for his charm, intelligence, and linguistic skills, Casanova moved effortlessly through the salons and courts of Europe. His exploits took him to cities such as Venice, Paris, and St. Petersburg, where he engaged in numerous love affairs and intrigues. His encounters with prominent figures of the time, including Voltaire and Catherine the Great, further solidified his place in history. Despite his libertine lifestyle, Casanova's memoir also re reveals his intellectual depth and literary talent. He documented not only his romantic exploits, but also his thoughts on philosophy, society and culture. His writings provide a fascinating glimpse into the social norms and attitudes of the 18th century. 
Casanova's life was not without its challenges, including imprisonment and exile. However, his enduring legacy lies in his ability to captivate the imagination with tales of passion and intrigue. Giamo Casanova remains an enduring symbol of the libertine spirit, leaving an indelible mark on the cultural history of Europe. This year is the 100th anniversary of the Radio Pips in 1924, and Bill started recounting some of the comparisons of that year with things this year, 2024, and he now completes that story. It was also an important year for the expansion of air travel. In March, Imperial Airways, forerunner of British Airways, was established with government support. Its operational centre was the now defunct Croydon Airport and Britain's main airport. New services to European capitals were introduced. You could board a plane leaving Croydon at 12.30pm, arriving in Paris at 3pm. Imagine how exciting that would have been. Buck's tragedy struck in December when Imperial Airways suffered its first fatal accident. The Havilland aircraft, en route from Croydon to Paris, crashed at Purley, killing all eight people on board. The accident led to the first official investigation into a plane crash in Britain. It didn't hinder further expansion of air routes in the years to follow. One very important difference between the Britain of 1924 and that of today is that a century ago, Britain was the centre of a vast global empire then at its zenith. The British Empire covered around a quarter of the Earth's land surface and contained over 458 million people. And it was to celebrate the Empire that a special exhibition was opened at Wembley in April 1924. The exhibition may be said to reveal to us the whole Empire in little containing within its 220 acres of ground a vivid model of the architecture, art and industry of all the races which come under the British flag, declared King George at the opening ceremony, which was broadcast live by the BBC. The fabulous show, which included pavilions from almost all of the countries and territories loyal to the Crown, attracted 27 million visitors. On April the 29th, the Daily Express reported how the King had become a train driver for the day, with the Queen as his footplate mate. This adventure, which pleased the King as much as it would any boy, was the culminating point of the visit, which the Queen and he paid to the Great Western Railway Works at Swindon, Express reported. At the end of his time on the footplate, King said to the locomotive inspector, You think I would make an apt pupil? Well, sir, replied the railwayman, I fancy, with a few more lessons, I should be able to give you your driving certificate. Like 2024, 1924 was an Olympics year. And, like 1924, the 2024 Games will be held in Paris. Britain won nine golds and 34 medals in total a hundred years ago, among them the golds for the runners, Harold Abrahams, in the 100-metre sprint, 
and Eric Little in the 400 metres. Stories were told in the Oscar-winning 1981 film, Chariots of Fire. The big difference between the two Olympiads is that back in 1924, there were just 17 sports and 126 events, whereas now there are 32 sports and 329 events. So, a haul of nine golds this time round for Team GB would be regarded as a considerable disappointment. This year's race for the Premiership football title looks tight enough. It will have to go some to match the climax of the 23-24 season. At the top of Division 1, Huddersfield Town and Cardiff City finished up with exactly the same points, 57, and the same goal difference, 27. The title went to the Yorkshire side because they had scored just one more goal. It remains the closest finish to any top-flight title race in English football history. While Huddersfield, now in the second tier, won't be able to match their 1924 exploits, rematch of the 1924 FA Cup final between Newcastle and Aston Villa doesn't look totally far-fetched. Would it be a good omen for Toon fans that a century ago Newcastle won the Cup 2-0? The more we look back at 1924, the more similarities we find with today. Not least when it comes to pastimes. Perhaps after reading this, you may have a go at the crossword. Well, on November 2nd, 1924, our sister newspaper, the Sunday Express, published the first crossword ever to appear in a British newspaper. 100 years on, Sunday Express prize crossword is still going strong and despite sending in an entry every week I still haven't won it. Year 1924 really is one that keeps on giving. Looking back slightly further than 1924 to the early days of the 20th century, life in Coventry was very different as Alan has been recounting in hurdy-gurdy days which he now continues. The parson continued to visit the men in the bar at the Greyhound, and was on very good terms with them, and they in turn looked upon him with great respect. But he hadn't been able to persuade them to pay another visit to his church, not even the promise of a free pint. They all kept backing out. He also kept in touch with their wives through the mother's meeting, but now he thought he must interest the children and complete the family circle. He invited them all to come to the Sunday School and the Band of Hope, which was a temperance meeting for children held every Tuesday evening at the Mission Room in Greyfriars Lane. It was the same place where the mothers' meetings were held, so the children knew where it was. The majority of the children came from the surrounding district, slums and courts like ours, only worse if that was possible. There were as many as seven and eight children in one house, with half a dozen closets to a court of twenty to thirty houses, all infested with fleas and bugs. The children would run round the communal water tap in the centre of the yard in rags, with no boots on their feet, and pieces in their fists for a meal, with lard or dripping on the bread, never butter. At the bottom of the mission room entry was a little shop, 
but sometimes we used to spend a farthing of the halfpenny we used given for the collection. The sweets were usually Jap nuggets, screwed up in a piece of newspaper. Once inside the mission room, the teacher could handle all of us, even the tough nuts from the neighbouring courts. But as we waited outside in the yard for opening time, the boys would behave like wild animals, punching one another and rolling on the ground. The caretaker who lived in the house nearby was always threatening to report them to the teacher, but it happened every week, and we were always glad to get inside. We all took part in the meeting, singing and reciting. Grace and I used to sing together. The teacher organized concerts, which were a huge success because we all loved her so much, and she got such good results. The parents were invited, and everybody got excited. We used to do sketches and musical items, popular tunes of the day, such as Poor Old Joe, and I Don't Want to Play in Your Yard. We did The Emperor Napoleon Had a Feather in His Cap, with all the actions and many others. One little musical sketch I remember was called Caller Herrin, and we were all dressed as fisher girls with a basket on our arms with real herrings in it. We had bare feet and a little shawl around our shoulders. It was a huge success, and we could always be sure of an encore whenever we did it. Land of Hope and Glory was another success, with one of the girls playing Britannia. She would be seated high up in the centre of the stage, with her long, fair hair all draped around her shoulders, complete with a regalia of Britannia. The audience must have thought she looked wonderful, for when the curtain went up there would be a long, a long applause. Everybody seemed more patriotic in those days prior to the 1914-18 war. Did you know that this year is the year of the dragon for the Chinese, and it was party time at the Chinese New Year celebrations earlier this month. Dave went down to the Priory Visitor Centre, joining Lady Godiva and the Godiva sisters in those celebrations. Hello, welcome to the Priory Vista Centre, and it's the Chinese New Year celebrations. It Here's is. Angela. Hello, we have Chinese New Year, we have all free Chinese food, we have lots of celebrations, lots of activities going on here today. Everybody's dressed in their Chinese, they're red, nice red, and uh, it's a lovely occasion, very yeah. happy occasion. And there's a 30-foot Chinese dragon. There is. Know. It's wow. in here. Yeah. Fantastic! Yes, come on in, come on and in. You're the Irish sister. I am. Right. I am. Okay. Irish Godiva sister. Fantastic! Thank you. Here we are. Oh, here we are, and here's the dragon. A beautiful, long, gold dragon. Absolutely beautiful. With a big head, with big teeth, gold and pink head. And in its uh, lower jaw, there's a big silver ball. <laughs> Hello there. Are you a kind of a chef? You look like a chef. I run a Chinese takeaway in Coventry, yeah. You do? Yeah. Oh, fantastic. What's the name of your Chinese takeaway? It's Hong Kong Chinese takeaway. And where's that? In Clay Lane. Clay Lane. My father opened it in 1969. Yeah. Second Chinese takeaway ever in Coventry. Wow. Before McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken. Yeah? Yep. And you've got some Chinese food here, have you? Yep. Spent all morning doing this. 
basic Chinese rice noodles, spare ribs. Got all my workers to help as well. Yeah, should be a good turnout. Yeah. Here's the guy that shows up everywhere, and uh, Ian Howes, a friend of Graham Whale, listener. Hi there. Hi there. Looking forward to the uh, Chinese New Year celebrations. Yeah, very much so. Yes, it's the uh, start of the uh, the year of the dragon. What about that then? That's a, that's a surprise for you all who didn't know. And we have a dragon here, don't we? It's absolutely beautiful, isn't it? It's gorgeous, so colourful, gorgeous, like you all. Fantastic. I'm speaking to the lady who organised all this, wonderfully, Pupuretta Coventry's Lady Godiva. So, can you describe a bit of what's going on? Well, at the moment it's very busy. We've got lots of Chinese community friends, which is really lovely. Then we've got Godiva sisters, we've got some people from Ukraine, from, um, I can't remember, everywhere. Our Irish sister we have from uh, many, many different places. Ukraine sisters, so people have come together to make this a special celebration for the wood dragon because it's a special year where the dragon comes and uh, brings joy. Dragons are about leadership, about being powerful, but in a good way, helping everyone to make better. Wow. Uh And we've got lots of red and gold. People are wearing their beautiful costumes. Our Chinese ladies have got beautiful embroidered with the uh, gold embroidery on the red silk and we've got some of them with the orange we've got blues and greens and we've got umbrellas and lanterns we've got so many beautiful things happening and different uh, we've got a fantastic dragon that's um, 30 foot long and it opens its mouth and it says happy new year to us but we've also got stories Chinese calligraphy and face painting and we've got a beautiful group that would like to say happy new year to Could everybody. You say happy new year in Chinese, please. Well, happy happy new year. Ni hao. Hello. Ni hao. Here we are. We're speaking to a young lady. What's your name? My name's Tinky. Okay, can you tell me about your beautiful uh, costume, please? Uh, my costume is called Hanfu, about uh, 3,700 history. Gee whiz, very old man. Yeah. It's a lovely lilac dress, isn't it? Yeah. Green. Yes, it's nice. Yeah. It's absolutely beautiful. Okay, thank, thank you. you very much. Thank you. Thank you. I'm speak to the Lord Mayor now. Are you enjoying the celebration? Yes, celebration is nice. This is a New Year celebration for Chinese. And we have come here. There are a lot of people here and they are enjoying it. It's wonderful. Thank you very much, Lord Mayor. I've got a Godiva sister and a Godiva brother here. You're, you're the first Godiva brother then? Unofficially, yes. But um, my wife Jane is a Godiva sister. And we first met Lady Godiva when we were doing City of Culture. So we volunteered as City Hosts. Yeah. And that's where we met as City Hosts. And then we got involved with people with the community like Prue. Yeah. And Jane became a Godiva sister. Yeah. And I suppose because I've tagged along, Prue almost sees me as part of 
that, but, you know, it's not about brothers, sisters, it's about people, isn't it? Isn't and what brings to us, yeah. That's wonderful, wonderful. So what do you, Godiva sister, who do you represent? I represent people with disabilities. Oh, that's excellent. Because there are so many of them, and yeah. it's not just people that have lost this. There's yeah. all sorts of disabilities, and I'm trying to open people's minds up and actually see that we do exist and we're out there. Yeah, excellent. So you, you met and uh, you got married? Yeah, so we'd never met before. Yeah. So we started volunteering in 2021. So that's when the City of Culture started. And then that's we sort of got to know one another. Yeah. Jane moved in. Yeah. And we decided, well, it'd be nice to get married. Yeah. We had a sort of wedding blessing at the Queen of Flanders, which is long gone. So oh, yeah, in the, in the City Gardens. of Culture, yeah. Yeah, right. and Prue, Lady Godiva, was our chief witness at the um, registry office. Well, thank you to Prue and the Godiva sisters for organising this wonderful celebration of the Chinese New Year in the Year of the Dragon. And I've just won in the raffle a £50 voucher to be spent at Wingwa Chinese Restaurant. Bye for now. Today's report from the local celebration of the Chinese New Year brings this edition of Outlook to a close for yet another week. So, from the team and me, Nigel Hewin, it's goodbye till next time.